I have a question for you this morning. What do you think of when you hear the word family? Today we're going to begin a new series of messages called Family Matters. And I wanted to begin with a short quiz. So are you ready? I've got some pictures of families um, through the years that have appeared on television. And I want you to identify them. I want you to tell me who these families are. So are you ready? Okay, here we go. Here's the first picture. All right, who's that? Who can tell me? Just yell it out. Yeah, there's Fred and Woman, and Betty and Barney and Pebbles and Bam Bam. How many of you knew all the names? Oh, oh I forgot Dino. Sorry, Dino. Okay, here's another family. Just yell it out. What's her last name? The Cunninghams. And what's the TV show? Happy Days. Back in the 50s, it was a different time, wasn't it? Okay, and is the Fonz? There he is. Okay, I see him. Yeah, he's kind of part of the family, right? All right, here's another family. Okay, who's this? You can, you can admit you know who it is. Go ahead. It's, it's the symptoms. It's Homer and Marge and the rest of the clan. The dog and the cat are on the couch too. Are you ready for the next one? Okay, here we go. Who's that? The Taylors from what television show? Okay, Home Improvement. Tool Time was a TV show within the show. Okay, good, good. Another family. How about this one? Who's that? Yeah, everybody loves, okay, everybody loves Raymond. Not everybody knows Raymond, but everybody loves him. All right, and this family would be, who knows? Yeah, they're called modern family, okay, because they want us to think that that's who they are. Okay, and then we have this family. This is the last one. Who is this? Who is this? That's kind of a clue. This is, yeah, this is us. Okay, how many of you watch that um, show? Okay, quite a few. Now, here's why I bring this up. What do all of these families have in common? They're on TV. Okay, <laughs> true. Okay, they're not real. <laughs> they're on television. But aside from that, let's say that you thought they were real. Okay, if I were to say, what do all these families have in common? What would they have in common? Okay, here, let me give you the answer, okay? Because we're going to be here way past lunchtime. <laughs> they have issues, okay? They all have issues, don't they? They have stuff. Sometimes it's little stuff, big stuff, all kinds of stuff in between, right? Now, I was working on the message this week, and I thought, you know, I'm going to take a look at some families in the Bible. And you know what I discovered? All the families in the Bible have stuff. They all have these issues. Sometimes they're really serious issues. I mean, for example, if you go all the way back to the beginning, the first family, um, they have some significant challenges in their lives. Think about Adam and Eve. They make a, a choice to disobey God, and that choice not only affects them, it affects the rest of the human race. And then think about their sons, Cain and Abel. Did they have some issues? Yeah, they were so significant that Cain did what? Yeah, he committed the first homicide. He killed his brother. And then as you go through the pages of the Bible, you encounter all these different kinds of families. Um, for example, there's this really blended family. The dad is Joseph. He has 12 sons by four different wives. Can you imagine what that family was like? I'm sure they had a lot of stuff going on. And then the first civil war in the Bible is actually between a father and a son, between King David and his son Absalom. Now, as you move to the New Testament, you might think, hey, maybe things will get better. You know, maybe if we look at Jesus and his family, we'll get an idea of what family is supposed to look like. 
And then you read the story about the time that the, um, the Holy Family is in Jerusalem and it's time to go home and Mary and Joseph don't even check to see if Jesus is with them and he is what? He's left behind. And then as you continue reading through the New Testament, after Jesus launches his public ministry, this happens. It says, then Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, because remember that Jesus has brothers and sisters as well, they went to take charge of him for they said, he is out of his mind. Now here's why I bring this up. I want you to see a very important reality when it comes to your family and mine, and here is the reality. All families have issues. All families have issues. All families are dealing with stuff. Now, in the weeks ahead, we're going to talk about the stuff that families deal with. We're going to talk about marriage stuff and parenting stuff and financial stuff. We're going to talk about how to handle conflict in your family so you can avert a family feud or deal with one that's already broken out. We're going to talk about how you can take your faith in Jesus and actually share it with people in your own family. And then we're going to talk about this, and this is really important. We're going to talk about how we've all been shaped not only by the family that we grew up in, but by the generations that preceded us and how those family members have affected us and how we can chart a new course for the future. Because church, the reality is this. What happens in our families can bring us great pleasure. It's true, isn't it? But we all know the flip side, don't we? That what happens in our families can bring us great pain as well. And so I want to tell you my purpose for this this series, and it's the purpose for the message today, is to give you two things, to give me two things as well when it comes to our families. The first is direction, and the second is hope. We need direction for our families. We need hope for our families. In fact, would you please take a look at this statement on your outline that says this, the family is whose idea? Yeah, it's God's idea, and the Bible has what kind of principles? This is really key, unchanging principles about how the family is supposed to work that give us direction and hope. You see, this morning, whatever's happening with your family, you need to understand God's principles. We all need to understand the way our families are supposed to work. That's what gives us direction. But we also need hope. The hope that change is possible, the hope that healing is possible, the hope that somehow tomorrow can be better than today. So let's begin with this first idea, this foundational principle that the family is God's idea. And let me just, let me just take a short time out here to say this. This message is for everybody here, regardless of your family situation. And listen, I'm really um, thankful that our middle and high school students are with us today. Because this message is for you to, to learn how to get along um, with the people in your family right now and to think about the family that God may lead you to form in the future. These are important principles. And listen, whether you're single or married or divorced or remarried or you're an empty nester or have a blended family, whatever the case may be, we all need to understand these unchanging principles that God has for us in his book. So we're going to start way back at the beginning, back in the book of Genesis, and I'm going to walk you through some things really fast. So are you ready to go? All right, here we go. In the beginning, God creates the first person. And what is his name? Adam. All right. Now, God gives Adam a job to take care of the garden. 
and it seems like things are going okay, but then God looks at Adam and says, it is not good for the man to be alone. So what does God do? He makes the first woman. And what is her name? Eve. I remember um, sharing this story with you. Um, I think it was a number of years ago. It was about a little girl who went to Sunday school. And she heard the story, the creation story about Adam and Eve. And she came home and said, Mommy, I heard the greatest story today. And her mom said, Well, tell me. And the little girl said, Well, you know, God made the first uh, man and his name was Adam. And things were going okay. But then Adam got really sad because he was lonely. And so God made him fall asleep. And then God took out his brain and used it to make a woman. (laughs) Well, we all know that's not exactly what happened. But God did take a body part from Adam to make Eve. What body part did he take? He has rib. Now, God takes this rib and he makes the first woman Eve and then he brings Eve to Adam. What does Adam say? What does he do? I mean, this is a really dramatic moment in the Bible. And consider this. If you go back to Genesis chapter 2 and follow the story, God is bringing all the animals he created to Adam so he can give them a name. And whatever Adam calls it, that's going to be his name. And just imagine how this played out. You know, Adam is there and God brings this animal in front of Adam and he goes, hmm, hmm, let's see. Um, Big teeth, sharp claws, love the racing stripes. Let's call this one Tiger. And God says, okay, Tiger it is. And then God brings another animal in front of Adam and Adam looks at it and goes, this one is, is huge, God. Um, But it has a little tiny tail and big sturdy legs and a long trunk. Let's call this one elephant. And it goes on and on and on. And in the account in Genesis, we find that Adam is just naming animal after animal. And he discovers there's no one like me. There's no companion that, that that I could live with. So you know the story. God takes out his rib and makes Eve. And God brings Eve to Adam. And Adam takes one look at Eve. And he says... Whoa, man! Now, actually, I didn't make that up. I'm not sure how we said it, but it says in the Bible, it says right in the Bible that God called Eve woman, for she was taken out of man. She actually was formed from his own body. A number of years ago, there was a a pastor and Bible commentator. His name is Matthew Henry. And he made this really powerful observation about God's purpose for the family and his purpose for marriage. And he commented on this way that God created Eve. And he said that Eve was taken from Adam's side, not from his head to rule over him, nor from his feet to be trampled upon, but from his side to be equal to him, from under his arm to be protected, from near his heart to be loved. In that creation story, we see God's unchanging principles for the family. And here's another one, and this isn't on your outline, but you could write it down if you'd like. It's simply this. The relationship between a husband and wife is the primary relationship in the family. And we see that in the creation story. In our American culture, there have been all these attempts to redefine marriage, and we're well aware of that. But God's definition still stands. Marriage is a sacred covenant between a man and a woman. And realize this, that before they ever had kids, Adam and Eve were a family. 
Now, certainly when God blesses a couple with children, those relationships, those parent-child relationships are very, very important. But the primary relationship in the family is between the husband and the wife. That's God's model. That's God's plan for families. And ladies, let me say this because I've had this, this conversation with, um, with a number of people. Women sometimes read this creation story and they think, oh, I'm just the helper. Because it says that God made Eve as a helper suitable for Adam. And they think that they're kind of a second-class citizen. But do you realize, ladies, who else is called man's helper in the Bible? God is. So this, this position of helper is one of great value and dignity and honor. And here's something that men and women all need to understand. That in the eyes of God, men and women are absolutely equal. But when it comes to the family, they have different roles. Now, this is really too, so important, I need to emphasize it today. The, the roles that we have for husbands and wives, the biblical roles, have been deeply influenced by our own sinful hearts and by the influence of culture itself. Our ideas about the role of a husband, the role of a wife, has been influenced by our hearts which lead us astray, and by culture, which often leads us astray as well. Remember, I was in Honduras a couple of years ago, and I had the opportunity, I was with our missions team there, I had the opportunity to go and speak at an evening service at a church, and it was in this um, little city called El Tigre, way up in the mountains. So we're starting the worship service, and because of the missionary influence from many years ago, all the women were on this side, and all the men were on that side. And so I stand up, and I'm going to talk about the family. Now, I wasn't expecting this. I didn't realize that it would be like this. So I said, okay, well, let me talk to the men first. So I'm talking to the guys, and I'm, you know, reading what it says in the Bible. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, and, you know, he's willing to lay down his life. So you need to lay down your life for, life for your wives. You need to serve them. You need... And these guys are sitting here like this, and they're giving me the look. Because honestly, in that, in that culture, it was kind of the other way around, where wives were expected to serve their husbands, who often didn't kind of see that as a two-way street. Let me just put it that way. So I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe this will get better. So I walk over to the other side of the platform there, and I'm talking to the wives. And I was talking to them about being a helper and how they have a position of honor and dignity and value, and they are just all smiles. They are so, and they, this is true, they actually started clapping. And when that happened, I thought, I'm going to need a bodyguard to get to the bus. <laughs> But here's, here's my point. In order to find direction and hope, we can't just look inside ourselves and we can't just look to our culture because our culture is constantly changing. I was having dinner with my wife, Chris. This is just a few nights ago and um, we were talking about cultural expectations when it comes to marriage and she said, you know, I, I found something really interesting online today. And I said, what's that? She said, well, did you know that back in the 1500s, this is in Turkey, that coffee was really, really important. In fact, coffee was so important that a Turkish wife could divorce her husband if he didn't provide her with enough coffee. Now, when I heard that, I jumped up, ran to the pantry, and wanted to make sure that our marriage was not in trouble. The church, again, if we're going to find hope, if we're going to find direction, we can't just look inside ourselves. We can't just look to our culture. We have to look to the unchanging principles in God's book. And realize this, when you look <clears throat> at the teaching of the Bible, and in particular the teaching of the New Testament, 
It is radical compared to what was going on in the culture of the day. I mean, think about this. In the first century, you've got this Greek culture, this Roman culture, and in that culture, women and children had virtually no value at all. Women were pretty much considered to be property of a man, just like a sheep or a cow. And when it came to kids, they just didn't matter very much. Little girls were routinely left to die because little boys were better. And into this culture comes Jesus and his radical teaching that everybody is valuable in the eyes of God. And Jesus didn't just talk about that. He demonstrated that <clears throat> by his life and by his ministry. Did you know that, that other rabbis wouldn't even teach women? But Jesus did. In fact, there were women who traveled around with Jesus and his disciples, and they created quite a scandal because of it. And then there was a time that Jesus shocked everybody, including his disciples, when he said, hey, let those little kids come to me. And he held them, and he blessed them. See, Jesus was always pushing back against the status quo. He challenged the, the cultural expectations of family, and that certainly was true when it came to marriage. Because back in the days of Jesus, in terms of the Jewish culture, the situation was that the husbands had all the rights and the women had virtually all the responsibilities. And if you were a Jewish man and you, you wanted to divorce your wife, no big deal. You could do it for just about any reason at all. Um, if you didn't like the way your wife looked, just give her a divorce. Send her away. If you don't like the way she cooks, give her a divorce. Just send her away. And so one day... These religious leaders come to Jesus because they want to know what his perspective is on divorce. Now, Jesus gives a very remarkable answer that's important for us today. He says this, haven't you read? Now, let me stop right there. Read what? Uh, God's Word, the Old Testament. Now, these guys that are asking him are supposed to be scholars. They're Old Testament um, experts in the law and so Jesus this rhetorical question is like almost a slap in the face haven't you read he replied that at the beginning the beginning of what the beginning of the book the book of Genesis at the beginning the creator made the male and female and said for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh so they are no longer two but one therefore what God has joined together let man not separate have you ever heard those words at a wedding that's where they come from, from what Jesus said here in the book of Matthew. Now, this confuses the religious leaders. Why? Because their view of marriage and divorce and family has been shaped by their own sinful hearts and by the culture. And so they, they come back with another question. They say, okay, Jesus, well, here's the deal. Then why did Moses say that we could just divorce our, our wives for any reason? We just give her a certificate of divorce and send her on our, our way. Why did Moses tell us that, Jesus? And Jesus gives an answer that absolutely nails it. Because this is what he says in verse 8 of Matthew 19. Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. And you can almost hear the sadness in those words. This is not the way it was supposed to be. And church, what Jesus says here points to what we all experience when it comes to our families. There is the ideal, the way it's supposed to be, and then there's the way it actually is, what's real. And there is this, this tension, there is this gap between the way God meant families to be 
and the way families actually are. And I suspect this morning, if, if I could have a conversation with, with each of you and just say, how's your family doing today? That some of you would say, well, you know what? We're, we're doing okay. In fact, things are, are pretty good right now in our family, and I'm just really thankful for that. And others of you might say, well, you know, um, we've got some, some issues that we're dealing with, but nothing really, really serious. I, I think we're going to be all right. And others of you might say, you know what? I am absolutely emotionally exhausted by what's going on in my family. I'm fearful of the future. I wake up in the middle of the night and I have no idea what to do. Listen, regardless of what's going on in your family, there's something that we all need. Direction and hope. The question is, where do we find that? And the short answer is this, in Jesus. In Jesus Christ. And church, just real quickly, let me explain what I mean by that. See, in the beginning, God created Adam and Eve because he wanted a family. That was God's dream. And so he makes Adam and Eve, and for a while things are okay, and then they disobey him. And that disobedience, it, it rips apart their relationship, and it rips apart God's heart as well. But God doesn't give up on his dream of a family. And so even as he's forcing them to leave the Garden of Eden, the only home they've ever known, God makes a promise. He says, listen, one day a baby will be born through Eve who will make it possible for our relationship to be restored. And as you read the rest of the story here, that's what the Bible is about. It's about God launching a plan to put his family back together again. And your story and my story is a part of what God has done and is doing. Because like Adam and Eve, we've disobeyed God, haven't we? Our sin separates us from God because God's holy and we're not. Because God's just, he has to punish our sins and that just punishment is to die and to be separated from the God who loves us for how long? Forever. And there's nothing we can do, but there's something God can do, and so he does. He launches this rescue mission where he sends his son, Jesus Christ, to earth and Jesus lives a perfect life. And then he dies a perfect death. And his death is perfect because it's the sacrifice necessary for us to be forgiven. See, on the cross, God's willing to do this, to put our sin on Jesus and punish him in our place. And then Jesus, after dying, roars back to life. And he offers a new life to everyone who will follow him and trust him. And here's what I want you to think about this morning. If you're a Christian this morning, God's adopted you into his family. Isn't that incredible? You are the son and daughter of God. And you have other believers who are your brothers and sisters. See, becoming a Christian is not just a matter of believing. It's a matter of belonging. And when you're a believer, when you're a Christian, you have this family that extends around the world and throughout history. Isn't that incredible? And here's, here's the last thing I want to point out, just very briefly. It's this, that God wants you and your family to be connected to his family. God wants you and your family to be connected to his family. Look at this Bible verse. It says this, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Isn't that beautiful? Listen, do you realize that you'll never accomplish God's purpose for your life, and you'll never accomplish God's purpose for your family unless you're connected to God's family? I know that's a pretty bold statement, but that's what God says. You'll never accomplish... God's purpose for your life or for your family unless you are connected to God's family. And, and God's family is found where? Yeah, here in the local church. And you've heard me say this many times. The local church is the 
Hope of the world. Why? Because of its message and because of its people. And I remember years ago when Chris and I were trying to decide what God was calling us to do, and I just felt so clearly that God wanted us to be involved in starting a new church. And we had this dream of, of a church where people would understand this idea that their family was supposed to be connected to God's family, that that's how it was supposed to be, that we're supposed to share our lives together, we're supposed to learn together and serve together and reach out together. And I remember just a few days ago, I was having a conversation with another pastor, and we were talking about the DNA of a church and how there are certain things that define a church and, and determine what it does to carry out God's mission in the world. And I shared there are three things that define the DNA of Boynton Beach Community Church. And here's the first. We are gospel-centered. Everything we do flows out of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. The second is this. We are purpose-driven because God's purposes are clearly revealed in his word. And the third thing is this. We are family-focused because we want families to understand that God wants them to be connected to his family and listen, regardless of what's happening in your family today, we all need help, don't we? Because we all have what? We all have issues. And where do we find that help? Well, in Jesus and in his people, the family of God. And church, let me say this. I am just so thankful, so encouraged and delighted. We have so many kids in our church. Um, and that's a wonderful thing. The next generation, and you've heard me say this as well, you know, the kids are not just the church of tomorrow, they're the church of today. And so if you're a parent this morning, please hear my heart on this. We want to partner with you in terms of building the spiritual foundation for your kids. Now, I have to be clear on this. The primary responsibility for discipling children lies with moms and dads. That's your primary responsibility to teach them about God, to teach them about Jesus, to teach them about the Bible. But the church is to be a partner in that goal. But that requires a connection where we work together to accomplish that. And here's what that means. It means when, when parents bring their kids to church, they don't just drop them off. They don't just say, hey, you guys teach them about the Bible. You teach them about Jesus. No, that's a partnership that requires a connection and that means that what we want to happen is for moms and dads to say, you know, I'm going to volunteer. I'm going to be a part of the ministry of my church family. I'm going to serve in the nursery. I'm going to help with Awana. I'm going to help with Upward. I'm going to help in youth ministry. And that, that's true for adults as well. It means that guys say, you know what? I'm not going to be disconnected. I'm going to get to know other men in this church. And women would say the same thing. And couples would do the same thing. And listen, I am very thankful for those of you who take that seriously. Because strong connections between the family and the church make a church strong. And let me say this too, because I think it's really important. We have this event today, Kickoff Sunday. And there's a, a method to the madness, if you will. Because here's what I hope will happen. I, I hope that, you know, after the worship service, I'm going to pray, we're going to, you know, go have lunch. I, I hope you'll stay, first of all, and have lunch and get to know some other people you don't know. Um, tell them your story, listen to their story. That's one of the things we hope will happen today. Um, and I hope you'll have a lot of fun because that's a good way to get to know people. But there's something else. We've got all this ministry information that you can take a look at. And I want to encourage you, don't just look at it. Find a way to strengthen the connection between your family and our church family because that is the way it's supposed to be.
And notice this, when you go to the different ministry tables, there's a little card on top, and it says this, we can do more together, because that's God's plan for us as his family. Hey, let me just close with a, a thought about family. I remember when I was a young dad, and our kids were small, my wife Chris and I would put our kids to bed at night, and we had this ritual to try to get them to go to sleep, and we would pray with them. One of the things we would do is read them bedtime stories. And we had a gazillion kids' books on this little bookshelf. And I remember, and you know this if you're a parent, um, children often like to hear the same story again and again. And so one of my kids, who's, who shall remain nameless, um, loved this one story. And it was like almost every night, would you read the story? And the story was about these, these three brothers. And they were, they were building homes. And maybe you know the story. Um, there was one brother... And he, he, you know, he was just lazy. He was just, he just, he decided he's going to build his house out of straw because it was just easy. And then he could just, you know, hang out with his friends and have fun. And then there was a second brother, and he was a little bit more ambitious, and he decided he was going to build his house out of what? Do you know? Sticks, right? It was a little bit harder, but not much, and he still could hang out and have fun. But brother number three, man, he was committed to building a really strong house, so he was going to build his house out of what? Bricks. And yeah, it was you know, harder, and it was going to take a lot more time. But in the end, he thought this is going to turn out really well. And he was right. Because at some point in the story, this character shows up. And who is that? The big bad wolf. And you know how the story goes. He huffs and he puffs, and he blows down the house made of straw. And then he goes to the house made of sticks and does the same thing. Huffs, puffs, psh, house is gone. And then he comes to the brick house and he huffs and he puffs and he huffs and he puffs and he's almost unconscious. But that house will not fall down. I remember my child saying, Daddy, what's our house made of? <laughs> and I would say, our house is made of brick. This house is really strong, so you don't have to worry. Just go to sleep. It'll be okay. Let me ask you a question this morning. When it comes to your house, is it made of brick? See, the point of the story is not, hey, it's good to have a really hardworking brother who builds his house strong so that the wolf comes, I just go hang out with him. Not the point of the story. The point of the story is, what are you doing with your family and your house? And this story of the three little pigs reminds me of another story told by the master storyteller, Jesus. And he's talking about the value of having a foundation for your home that will weather any storm. And he says this, whoever hears my words and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Notice Jesus doesn't say, whoever listens to the words of their favorite politician Whoever listens to the words of their favorite talk show host, whoever listens to the words of a self-help book, whoever listens to the words of their culture, Jesus says, whoever listens to my words and puts them into practice is like a wise man, a wise woman, a wise teenager who built their house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the wind blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock.
Let's pray. God, today, we are so thankful that Jesus is the rock on which we can build our lives. And God, I want to thank you for never giving up your dream of having a family. Thank you that through faith in Jesus, we become your sons and daughters. And thank you, God, for our church family. Thank you for the the service today. Thank you for the fun we're going to have afterward, that we really are connected because of Jesus. And Lord, we pray that many people in our community will come to be a part of your family and find the peace and the purpose they long for. And Lord, I want to pray today for the one who maybe for the first time has understood this good news about Jesus, this good news that a new life is possible. And Lord, I pray this morning for that person that, that wants to become a part of your family, that, that right here, right now, if that's you, you can just say this in your own way, in your own words to God. You don't have to say anything out loud, but you can say, God, I'm sorry for my sins, and I want you to forgive me. I believe Jesus died for me and came back to life. And today, God, I want to trust Jesus and follow him. I want to be adopted into your family. And Father, today as we think about our families, some of us look back and, Lord, if we're honest, we struggle with regrets because there are things we could have and should have done differently. Lord, forgive us for the times that we listened to other voices and not yours. But God, remind us that regardless of what has happened in the past, this is a new day, a day when we can choose to move forward trusting you. And God, as we look around at our families today, some of us are doing okay. The foundation for some is strong. For others, there are some cracks. For others, it may seem like it's crumbling. But Father, whatever the case may be, we pray for direction and hope that comes from you, Father, and from your word. Because you are a good, good Father. And our hope is in you.